This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello, my name is Chris Hamling and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review podcast. Our first review of the season looks back at the opening day 0-0 draw with Everton at Selhurst Park. We'll talk about our views on the game, the major talking points from the week, and we'll review a selection of listener contact. I'll introduce you to my panel right after this short break. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match review podcast. www.backofthenest.com Right, my panel today, let's begin with Mr. Chris Clark. Hello, mate. Hello, you recovered? Just about, got up at 4pm. Yeah. yeah, it's unacceptable. I don't know, these sort of, these, these labour councillors. <laughs> and <laughs> Porsons just... drinkers. And Porsons drinkers, yeah, yeah. What do you uh, actually do? It... Sorry, I'm introducing what? myself, but like, what do you actually do? No, 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 have a chat. We, we're not doing anything important. Have a chat. Yeah, well, what, so, what do you actually do to wake up at 4 p.m.? Like, Well, um, stay in the pub till it closes, which is about oh, 11. Um, then order a takeaway, go to sleep, and wake up when I wake up, which is 4. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, it's, it's a good weekend. It's a perfect weekend. Mm. I, I don't know what to say. You know, you know, there's there, you know, there's a lot of danger around too much sleep, Chris, and I think you should look into it because um, it might be hard. Yeah, well, my back needed a rest for reasons that will become apparent during the show. Yeah, that sound is sexier than it is. Um, <laughs> so that other voice you heard was, of course, Mr. Dr. Kerners. Hello, Dr. Hello, hello. Fresh from a, an exciting game. How are you feeling? Um, yeah, um, I'm just excited. I was excited to go back to Selhurst. And of course, now we've got our new seats, which we'll talk about later on in the show. But yeah, it was good to go back. And yeah, happy with the result. Good stuff. And um, well, every now and then we like to surreptitiously record DR. And we were doing this last week, because, and you'll see why, because obviously DR says some quite amazing stuff without thinking about it. So last week, he, you know, he has regular issues with the speed of his internet. And um he has a, a technique where he strokes the cable of the um, the Ethernet cable, basically, and he somehow seems to get a little bit of a boost to the signal. So Mikey was secretly recording him to get a 
you know, let's face it, immature double entendre from it from him. And we messed around with that clip last week. Uh, usually doesn't get heard by listeners, but we noticed uh, when we sort of shared it with the rest of the guys on the WhatsApp group after the show that um, something quite odd happens at the end of it. Now, see if you can hear it. All right, I'll stop shaking it now. Um... So, just one more time, actually, Mikey. Let's hear it one more time. All right, I'll stop shaking it now. Um... Now, obviously, you can hear DR saying that he's going to stop stroking it now, which I'm sure you'll all agree is very funny. But there's a weird whispering sound at the end that we think we know what it says, but we want to know what you think it says. One more time. All right, I'll stop shaking it now. Um... So if you're li- when you're listening to this podcast, just sort of pause it and have a little think about what it says, because we're now going to talk about what we think it says. Um, and we're slightly influenced by the fact that Mikey told us what he thought it says first and foremost, which is the words Greek woman. What do you hear, Chris? Greek woman. They are. I disagree. It's pick one man. Pick one man. And now, yeah, if you slow it down, which listeners can't hear that, but yeah, it says it actually says pick one man when you slow it down to like the slowest it can get. So the thing about this, and we're not going to turn into a paranormal podcast as much as I have tried to make that happen on several occasions. It it wasn't audible when it was recorded. I mean, at all. There, there was no one whispering Greek. I mean, why would anyone whisper Greek woman or pick one man? Uh, the people that were on at the time were myself, um, Mikey, who, who can't physically be on that recording because of the way it was recorded, uh, Patrick, and who else? <laughs> I forgot who else. Me. It was you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you were stroking the cable. <laughs> so it definitely yeah. wasn't DR because he was talking. I can guarantee you it wasn't me. It physically couldn't be Mikey. And, I mean, Patrick, there's no way he would just randomly say the word <laughs> Greek woman. It's just not in his nature. So, uh, so you know, I, I know a little bit about this, guys. Um, EVPs or what it's at. So we, we genuinely had a ghost on the recording, in my opinion. Um, not that I actually believe in ghosts, which is a sort of troubling dichotomy. However, uh, let us know what you think. Hi at backofthenest.com or tweet or whatever else. So a little bit of uh, amusement there or otherwise <laughs> for the opening. Uh, but we're going to get into the football chat right now. So first of all, gentlemen, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the pre-game. And the reason for that, we've been using our new WhatsApp chat. Um, many of you have got in touch, and I'm just going to stall while Mikey pops the old number in the chat so I can remember what it is. But what we do is we, um, we invite people to leave us voice messages, um, which we then later use on the show. And um, yeah, it's... Been been pretty good this week, but we got a lot of you getting in touch before the game to give us your views and what you thought, including some bits about the lineup. So we're going to use some of those clips right now to get us into the mood about how we were feeling before the game. It's the first game of the season, what our expectations, what our fears are. Before we get into the clips, I just want to set the tone a little bit with with Chris and Dr. Um, Chris, what were you feeling pre-game? You know, you, you'd seen the lineup, lineup. You'd got yourself down the pub and already started drinking enough to make your face go bright red. So what, what, how are you feeling pre-match? Well, excited to be back at Selhurst, of course. Uh, looking forward to seeing the new singing section and being part of that. And really just keen to get a point, frankly, from this game. You know, on paper, you look at the two sides, you look at the fact that we've got a weakened um, defence in terms of who's starting in cent- the two centre-back positions. You know, I'd, I'd be happy with a point from this game. That was my immediate um, set of expectations. 
Yeah, I was I was pretty much the same as well. It's probably due to how the last week or two went of preseason with the Wilf saga, the transfers, the Hertha Berlin game. Going into the new season, it was in the most exciting way, and I was I would have been happy with a draw. I, I called it one one, but a nil nil, I'll take it. You know, it's, it's like the first game of the season. You don't want to lose it. Uh, you just want to start at least with a point, and that's my that was my thoughts going into the game, and I was happy with the result. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? I, I you can't I kind of spend most of the week sort of fearing the worst, and um, I can't say that anything had happened leading up to the game had made me feel any differently. But I woke up on the on the day of the game, sort of enthused, which was kind of a, a rare feeling for last season for home games because it became a bit of a bit of a chore at times, if I'm completely honest, but. Um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about the fact, yes, we're, we're happy with the result in the end, but I, I, you know, for me, I was very apprehensive about how the team would perform, but really just looking forward to getting back to the football. Anyway, so that number, if you do want to WhatsApp us a voice message at any point during the week, you don't have to wait to pre-game or post-game, but whenever you like, the number is 0203 575 1266. That's 0203 575 one two six six chuck that in your contacts and um yeah you'll hear what some people have contributed and hope inspires you to do the same we'll use as many as we can uh, on the shows both preview and review show of course so let's hear what um well at the very least a couple of listeners and we'll, and we'll um we'll discuss uh, their comments in between hello there it's mike occasional contributor to back of the nest uh i am sitting in a car in Yorkshire, it's pissing down with rain um, to the point where we can't even get out of the car. Um, this is the middle of summer. Missing the Everton game to go to a wedding uh, in Yorkshire. And I just wanted to ring to say that I hope um, that you get to see us lose about 4 or 5 nil. Um Maybe... Schlupp playing up front, uh, i.e. playing. Um, yeah, I hope you have a really shit time, uh, especially Sai, who's got my season ticket today. So, yeah, enjoy yourselves. Hi, back of the nest. Lord Zonka here. Uh, just seen the team sheet, the front two. I've, I've, we're basically playing a 1-4-4, a four, four, in my opinion. We've got two strikers who've scored two goals between them last season. How on earth didn't we spend any of that money on a striker? It's not Roy's fault, in my opinion. It's Parrish has got to take the blame. I cannot believe we haven't gone out and got a striker. Anyway, Eagles! You have no more messages. <laughs> I hate that, that message that says you've got no more messages. It makes me feel useless and unloved. But anyway, uh, we did have messages. Um, the first one was from Mike. We'll gloss over that largely because he was so unkind, but... If you do want to sort of rewind this podcast and listen to it back, I like to imagine that at the very start of Mike's message, he's just kind of waking up from a concussion. It's just been knocked out by someone and he's just slowly coming to and immediately leaves us a voice message. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, you also mentioned um, Jeffrey Schlupp and he was injured, so he didn't play. Uh, Jordan, yeah, he was actually my man of the match. So yeah, he mentions a couple of good points, but I was, I was disappointed the fact that he said that I was pissing down when it's summer when it's not summer it's over i think lord zonka had a point though with um what he was saying um which is you know all of us had identified that there was a need for a striker it was 
cryingly obvious in the pre-season matches that we all saw. Um, and it came to pass with the lack of uh, sharpness in front of goal. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, the full match later on and the, and the chances that were wasted. But I think I think it's fair to say that, you know, Jordan Ayew is not actually a striker. Um, you know, that Benteke is a player who's low on confidence, but actually I think looked pretty good um, in, yes, in the game uh, yesterday. And Connor Wickham is a player who plays in fits and starts and has moments of brilliance, but, you know, hasn't had those for, for a couple of years because of injury. So absolutely we needed a striker. I'm, you know, a bit depressed that we didn't sign one, but at the same time, we've got options there and we've got we've got goals in midfield and that's clearly going to be the modus operandi um, and the way that we try to win games this season. I understand the bit of we need a striker, but if you're looking at who we brought in and how much money we've spent in this window, it's clear that we didn't have that much spending um, power, really. Um, we look at the striking options that we were linked with. Of course, Shalov was the one that we rumoured to put in a £20 million bid. Um, it's, it's, it was pretty much it. And I feel like the, there was a purpose to this window and us not signing a striker. It's the fact that in previous windows, we've gone out and it seems like we've brought players just for the sake of it. And they've failed and now it's actually costing us. So, in a way, I'm happy that the club didn't bring in a striker because it seems like there wasn't a clear favourite there from the club. A club, It doesn't feel like the club could point out one player and be like, yeah, he's going to be our saviour. And I understand you can't really point at any players, but it seems like the work wasn't really done there. So I'm more annoyed about the club not targeting a specific striker and not scouting one, which which seems like the case because it was Oli Watkins and Shalov. That was real only two strikers that we're linked with. Um, rather than us going and getting a striker, if that makes sense. Well, Dr. First of all, is it fair to say that if you were asked um, if you if you wanted a striker in the window, you would have said, "I want your love." Would you have, no. would you have said it like uh, that? No. Uh, yeah. No. 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 All right. That's um. That's a Sam. Hesketh. That's a Sam. That's a Sam Hesketh joke. Thanks, Hesketh. Um. So, I mean, we obviously we, it was quite clear. I mean, Shalov's agent made it abundantly clear that we had made a bid, a substantial bid that was rejected um, by his club, CSK Moscow. Cheska, is it like that? You go Cheska Moscow? Something yeah. like that. I don't know. But they, they, they rejected it, um, however substantial it was. So we obviously had money and we targeted. But it just goes back to that age-old problem. If, if you leave it that late in the window, which we clearly did, um, and you could even hear in some of Roy's um, interviews that he was frustrated by that himself. He says, "Oh, we you know Palace always leave it late, and if you leave it that late, you you, you know you're going to struggle." Um, I think uh, Lord Zonka, who in terms of name and contribution, I'm, I'm I reckon he's going to be a real favourite. He's already a favourite of mine, um, but you know he was very down on the front too. And we'll, you know, we've, spoiler alert, we've got more from him later on as well. But um, for me, you know, I'm not down on on the front two at all. And I think in terms of performances, has been touched on already. Ayu um, in particular was had a very strong game before he, he tied a little bit later on in the match, but um, but yeah, we we are light up front. We don't look like scoring um, the required number of goals, particularly at home, to to have a strong season. Um, you know, to get away from a season that's like we we always seem to see a bit of struggle before a recovery, and there's nothing to point at anything different. So I understand his frustration. And like for example. I mentioned as well, we could have easily, if we have 20 million to spend on Shalov, we could have spent that on Watkins as well. But 
the good thing is that we didn't because the club know that from the past that you can't just keep overspending on players just to bring them in for the sake of it. And that's uh, that's the real positive out of this. That's why I, even though we didn't bring a striker in, I'm looking at the positives rather than the negatives, kind of. And as I feel like Benteke, yes, and Jordan I and Conor Wickham the biggest goal scorers, but we're not going out there and just spending recklessly. Yeah, and, and, and also, if we had that money in this window, it, you know that there's something available in January if we if we desperately need to change something. And we've seen in the past that we've, we've done some good business in January windows that have turned seasons around. And it, it might prove that we have to do that again this season. But anyway, we'll get we'll get more into the, the new players and, and how we set up in, in just a moment. But um, there's, there's more. Um, I believe we've got a clip now from Rory. Good morning, back in an escrow. Hope you're enjoying the end of what has been quite a turbulent week in terms of football transfers and comings and goings and speculation. And obviously the forthcoming match against Everton impending. Um, my main plus to all of this is that hopefully we will unite as fans, we will unite as a club and we'll get some identity back um, within the terraces. I think it will be a struggle. Um, but I think in true Palace fashion, we will come out okay by the skin of our teeth. Um, quick one for you guys to speculate over. Player power and media power. Stuff getting through uh, to the public eye. I've noticed uh, during this window that there's a lot of stories based on not even quotes but the opinion of fans and the papers seem to be pulling this through and construing it as stories and borderline facts. What are your opinions on this? Because there was a lot of no news news headlines this week um, where I was looking for quotes from players and not only were there not even quotes from players and people within the the game, it was just literally people on social media talking. Oh, fans think this. Well, we all have an opinion. We're all entitled to it. Um, keep up the good work, guys, and uh, enjoy the season. Chris, I'll catch you soon for a beer, as promised. Much love. This is Rory, uh, Raw Palace 05 on the homesdown.net. Cheers, boys. You have no more messages. Uh, nice one, Rory. Thanks for that. And as you all heard, he said it. He's going to buy me a beer. I have got a beer waiting for me at some point, so I'm pleased <laughs> with that. And, and Chris, I know we have the same first name, but he didn't mean you. You don't know him, all right? Boo. And you've had more than enough at the weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about fan unity and that kind of stuff a bit later on, I think. But um, to, to talk about the – he mentioned player power in there, which, again, I think when we come to a, another section later on, we'll get into that. But I'm really interested in the point you made around the, the media and the way they're being used, and more importantly about – how fan opinion, particularly on social media, is starting to become, you know, a reported fact. I suppose we're really talking about lazy journalism, and there's been a lot of that around. And you know, I've got an ultimate, well, I've got a lot of respect for the majority of journalists. Um, it's a very hard job, particularly with the way social media and such has changed changed journalism. You know, print media is 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 struggling, and you have to be really, really good to stand out. And it, Brilliantly, there's a lot of Palace journalists who are really strong, uh, write fantastic articles and sort of lead the way really on sports reporting, which is which is brilliant. I love the fact that they're all Palace fans. But I suppose in a way, we we have all sort of contributed to this from the fact that we get dragged on to various media outlets to provide 
sound bites and comment. Chris Clark, you did one on Radio 5, didn't you? 5 Live? Yeah, yeah. Got, um, got that opportunity yeah. on transfer deadline day uh, to go on and talk yeah. about Wilf. Yeah, and um, DR's on Love Sport every week. Um, I was on Love Sport a couple of times and Talk Sport too in the last week and a bit. So we are kind of contributing to it. So I'm not obviously not going to criticise it because it's quite an enjoyable thing to do. We obviously don't get any money or any real attention out of it, but it's um, it's nice to talk about Palace to a to sort of a wider audience, if you like. But um, I do I do agree that there's a sort of um, there's like a lowest common denominator standard of article. You know, you kind of clickbait stuff that just. It's not really saying anything. It's saying that, oh, there's a rumour about this, particularly transfer window stuff. There's this rumour and, oh, a load of fans reacted in this way. Well, what it essentially is, is loads of people reacting to something that probably won't happen. And that doesn't really constitute news. So I have to agree with him on that. And another thing to consider is like, you look at the Zara situation and all week long, we basically saw that, oh, Everton put another bid, Everton put another bid. But I was speaking to an Everton fan for a preview video and at the end of it he said that oh we got a Wobi and also the guy uh, named Paul, Paul Joyce he said that he's well respected and trusted he only said that Everton only made one bid for Zaha of 52 million which was rejected on July 28th so you look at all the stories it seemed like Everton made like 10,000 bids for Wilfred Zaha and kept increasing but that wasn't the case but I'm not going to also blame all the journalists because at times you have to look at where the sources come from Maybe it's player agents that's feeding this information. Maybe it's clubs that's feeding this information. So it's very hard for them as well. I don't think they're doing it intentionally. But yeah, there are some media outlets like Sky, which at sometimes you look at it and you question it because you're like, what are you thinking of? And you know this is not 100% true. They've denied it, but you're still putting the news out there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's getting a bit tricky to hoot for. Yeah, I think... Leave. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it's weird how people choose to react to it, doesn't it? If it's a story that kind of suits your your opinion already, you know, it's talked about as if it's fact and these things have happened. Have happened. But again, if it's something that you don't want to believe, all of a sudden it's a load of rubbish and all that kind of stuff. But you're absolutely right, the other, you know, it's very rare that a story will appear, certainly at any kind of reputable news outlet, that is just completely fabricated. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because there's evidence of it happening all over the place, but... You know the Zaha stuff. We we know that that's agent talk, and it it's also clubs as well. And you know agents will link things like the amount of money they were like Everton was supposedly going to offer Zaha. Well, if that's if that's out in the press, that adds pressure, doesn't it? Where you know it it means let's say if our reaction to to Wilf's situation is to say, okay, well look, we we'll offer you a, a comparable contract, Wilf again, um, and then all of a sudden we have to offer the the two hundred grand plus that Everton have supposedly offered him. And then you've, you know, again, the, the more pressure the builds and, you know, the use the use of the media can drive up that pressure. And certainly it, it put, it's put some degree of division between Wilf and the club. And all of a sudden, this player who's given a, a hell of a lot of his, his playing time, some of his best years so far, and come through a rank, or, or ranks, all of a sudden people are resenting him because saying he doesn't respect the club. And he's, you know, to put the request in when he did shows a complete lack of, you know, lack of decency and we know those things you know they're not really true who knows how those things came about but one thing i can absolutely guarantee you is that the discussions over when and how or whether wilford put in a transfer request at all would have started and been discussed a long long time ago so the fact that we see it reported in the press at one particular moment and that might be the particular moment that it was for, it formally happened you know you can be absolutely damn sure that it has been discussed at length prior to that so 
um, that you know the media does get used. It is frustrating, but that's the way of the world, and, it, and it's not going to lessen. You know, particularly when fan content such as the stuff that we do and a variety of other people do is essentially free out there, free out there for um, for everybody. So, um, yeah, great great question, Roy, and um, and, and really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for those uh, clips and, and more later. So just before we move on to, to talking a bit more about Wilf, let's talk a little bit about the lineup that was selected, gents. And no real surprises for me because, you know, Roy's going to have been working with a set group of players leading up to the game. And we know Roy, he's he's, he's not going to sort of throw in some wild cards in there, really, is he? He's going to go with the players that he trusts. He's going to go with the system that he trusts. He's not going to start the season by throwing in Cahill and Camarasa and... Um, Coyote when he, when he hasn't been training and all that kind of stuff. He's going to go tried and trusted with the formation, players he trusts. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Well, his coaching methodology is well established and that is to drill the players into knowing where each other are going to be on the pitch and playing the same types of balls to each other and you know altering, you know, so having that shape that they all understand each other and build that understanding. So Yes, it, it would have been very out of character for him to throw people who've not been in training, who haven't had that drilling, straight into the starting eleven. Um, I mean, it's the same side pretty much that started last year, with the exception of a couple of injuries. You know, I was happy enough looking at that, especially happy to see um, Maya getting a start. Um, and the other thing, on you know, we were talking about this in the Victory Club before the game briefly, was looking at the strength of that bench. Um, you know, Coyate, Zaha. Wickham, McCarthy, Camarasa, Cahill. That's one of the strongest benches, probably the strongest bench that we've had since we came into the Premier League. So I was confident that if we needed to change it up to try and make a change, we had the options there to do that. Yeah, and the weird thing is, like, we've all talked about the transfer window and how shocking it's been. And some people are saying that. But you look at our depth now and surprise, like, we've actually improved. You look at our last game of last season and the bench had, Benteke, Wickham, uh, Bakri Saka, Luke Dreyer, Jairo Riederweld. And then you look at yesterday's bench and there's actually some real talent there. Of course, Wilf is not going to stay on the bench, but Cheku Kiate, uh, Kamarasa, Gary Cahill. So yeah, I feel like the competition has improved and now Roy doesn't really have any excuses to not use his bench because there's some talented players there that could actually come on and impact the game. So the pressure's going to be kind of on the players and on Roy, because last season that was one area that he didn't really change on the bench. He didn't utilise it, and this season he has to with the players that we've got there. Well, that's definitely something I'm going to talk about in a minute because it's something I picked up again um, through the course of the match. But, um, you know, I, I've sort of questioned myself if Jeffrey Schlupp was fit, does Max Mayer actually play? But I'm kind of I'm, I'm settled on the fact that Mayer is, is certainly pre season with a full, you know, with a full pre season fitness programme. Um, completed I, I think he's probably he seems to have earned his place under Roy now and it's for him to keep it and he, and he looked lively again um, but I did think there was a little bit of a tactical t- tweak in the sense that the fullbacks seemed to be slightly less adventurous PVA was sort of raining a little bit from storming down the wing all the time uh, Ward naturally isn't quite as adventurous as, as Wampasaka in terms of getting forward and getting in on the overlap and certainly in, in possession of the ball so I felt that we kind of because it was the opening game of the season, we were playing Everton, who he spent a bit of money, and you know, obviously, we, I think we 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 were concerned about them 
I think I can't remember a player said it um, after the game as well that we were concerned about them on the counter attack. I think that's why we saw you know lack of adventure, should we say, from fullback positions. But would you say, um, Dr, that we missed Wan Pasaka? Um, stupid question in a lot of ways, but I'm asking it. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. Look, Ward yesterday he had his uh, moments, but as the game went on, he grew into it. And overall, I, I was I was happy with the game because that was my I was happy with his game because that was. One of my main concerns going into the season, the lack of depth and starting Ward at right back. But you look at Andros and Wardy, I feel like it's they're going to need a bit of time to connect because Andros loved the Wan-Bissaka one-twos last season. Like both of them had pace and skill and it worked well for both of them. But right now, Joe Ward isn't the player that Wan-Bissaka is, of course, and he hasn't got the pace. And I feel like it's going to kind of impact Andros's game because he's going to miss passing to Wan-Bissaka and making them quick one-twos when in tight situations, which personally right now, I don't see that happening with Woody. So I feel like we need a bit of time with both of them playing on the right-hand side and then see what happens like that. But yesterday you saw it going forward. Andros wasn't as involved and I don't think it's a coincidence. So, I mean, Chris, I'm going to ask you this. There was a pretty strong reception for Joe Ward at the end of the game, um, which, which he responded to and appreciated. Is there anything that we, we that, that Ward is better at than Wan Bissaka? Does does he offer something different? He doesn't make mistakes. Most most that's probably the, the main thing I would single out. He is more conservative and that means that, you know, the defensive side of his game is more reliable. If he if he did make a mistake, he'd struggle to get back and put that magic tackle in that Aaron Wambasaka could. Um and actually, I mean, I seem to remember him making a few quite positive crosses. You know, I mean, we're talking a couple of years ago now, um, but he, he didn't really have a chance last year. We can't really count that. So I, I would say in the main, it's it's through his defensive positioning. He was more experienced at that. He, he still is. He knows how not to make a mistake and to link up with the centre-back to his immediate left. And between them, they cover for each other and it works really well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm confident enough that he's he's going to be a decent, solid right-back for us this season. There's no rush to replace him. Equally, I'd love to see someone faster and better at attacking come in. But I think that's that's probably the thing I would pick out. He's just his experience and his guile. I, I have to disagree. I feel like you, there was a it's it's a massive massive risk from the club starting Wardy there in the first place. I don't think he's a Premier League starter, even though he had a decent game yesterday. But having no other right back, so let's say he gets injured, who goes right back? Martin Kelly. Look, yes, he can play there, but in the Premier League, you look at just watch the game highlights from this weekend. Every team, the fullback is not there to just defend; it's there to defend and attack. And Martin Kelly can't attack. So can't Joel Ward. So I feel like, yes, the striker position is somewhere which we needed to improve on and look at, but right back should have been a priority. We sold Wan-Bissaka early enough to know that we need a replacement and we didn't go and get one. And the most frustrating thing is that we weren't genuinely linked with proper right with proper right backs. And even if we were, it was just speculation that lasted one or two days. And that frustrated me because, yes, it worked yesterday, but... In the long term, I wonder what's going to happen. Hopefully, no. Hopefully, he doesn't get injured and hopefully he performs like that. But I'm not really that convinced, in all honesty. Well, I mean, this kind of leads on to the last little bit talking about the pre-game stuff, which is, you know, the, the sort of tactical setup. Um, and, and we've got into, you know, we've talked about the fullback positions, but in general, did any of you really see the signs that we were going to see a different Palace at Sellers Park than we saw last season? I'm talking about 
you know, how, how we go about breaking teams down. To me, I saw a, a team that tried really hard and we created some good opportunities, but bottom line, we, we just struggled to break a, a team down even when they went down to 10 men. And, you know, I think Ray Lewington talked back in May about, you know, something needs to change there, but I don't, I just don't see it at the moment. I don't see what it is we're going to change. Now, we might see some different personnel as the season moves on start to come in and potentially unlock things, but it, it's, it definitely concerns me still. Well, I, I agree, frankly, that there's uh, concern there about the way of breaking teams down because it was the same, it was very much the same setup as last year, except a little bit more cautious on the uh, defence. They they huffed and they puffed and they tried to play around and play through. Um, I think probably, the, the one thing I'll say is that to judge on one game, it's probably too soon. And that's simply because Zaha was not on the pitch for long enough for us to be able to see what the chosen setup will be when he is on the pitch from the start of a game. Now, I'd like to see, we were talking about the fact that Andros will currently be weaker without having a partner to interplay with. If you give Zaha a free role and they, he can play one, twos, both with Townsend and with Maya, then you've got an interesting setup. Whether Roy will brave that, I don't know. But that, that's what I'd like to see is, you know, Zaha in a free role linking up with the two um, players on, on the wings. I don't think the system's going to change. Um, this is it. This is how Roy Hodgson plays. And we saw that yesterday as well. But at least he's putting in plays that help um, better the system work. So, for example, Max Meyer, which, of course, we didn't see him start that many games last season. But him starting yesterday, I feel like he helped a bit as well. You know, as well as Jordan I played, I feel like Max was also involved in the left-hand side as well, creating some chances and taking some shots. So, no, the system is not going to change. But if he keeps if he keeps putting in creative plays and is not scared, then the system should work better in a way. But only time will tell because, as you said, Chris, we're not too sure if Jeffrey Schlupp, when he comes back, is he going to start ahead of Max Meyer? And if he does, then I, I'm not that convinced. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot to talk, lots of ifs and buts about players, and you know, not everybody's fit. I think obviously we've got a lot of players that haven't been available for a variety of reasons. Some are a back and fit but not match fit and are going to take a time to to get back in uh, and others are still injured but you know I just again I, I'm, my hope is that that personnel makes a difference because as I, I agree with everybody it's it's not we're not going to see a change to the system I don't think um so it's about what what we do with the ball and most importantly taking chances um we've talked a fair bit about Wilf so we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on this topic but let's get a, another listener clip. I say listener clip let's get a clip <laughs> Where does the panel stand on the Zaha debate? I was pleased to see him play and clapped him, but there was a lot around me not clapping. What do you think? And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So that is uh, Sai. Thank you very much for that clip. Um, where do we stand on it? Again, we can answer that question ourselves, but I'll kind of open with what I what I experienced at the ground, which was definitely a little bit of division. There was a, f- a fair proportion of fans who were singing his name and applauding him and a fair proportion who weren't. Um, very few boos, a, a couple of, of individuals booing couple of individuals making gestures and that kind of stuff but um i think in general my, my view is i I, je- I hate to say this but i don't think he's done anything wrong i really don't and i know i can understand why people are, are put out by it but i think i i honestly think he's made it clear very early on it's obvious that a discussion has happened around this this gentleman's agreement that a reasonable bid would be accepted and we wouldn't stand in his way of moving on to a bigger club he was quoted back end of last season that he wanted to move on and wanted to play European football and, you know, put his talent on a bigger stage. So we know this. We knew this as a club. We knew it as a fan base. People have got their their, their nose put out of joint by the timing of, of what happened and how late in the window it was. But that's that was just the end of it. That was just the last desperate push. I think we have to accept that top players will want to play at the highest level they can possibly play at. And we've seen it so often in our history. Obviously, we want Zaha to play the rest of his career out of Palace and be the best player we've ever seen and all this kind of stuff. But you have to live in the real world. So personally, I don't really think he did anything wrong. I I do think perhaps there's there's things that could have been done better. Um, but I think it came out of desperation um, you know, from both a little bit himself and and his agent too. So I'm I'm really disappointed at the way it's heading. But I'm I was encouraged that a lot of people just kind of put it to one side and, and supported him because he's at Palace till at least January. And you know Chris is talking about how much we're going to rely on him. And I don't like to think that way. I think we need to be very much planning for what we do without him. Um, but while we got him, I think the the only thing we can do is support him, and he, he will play a hundred percent for the club and a hundred percent for his teammates until he leaves. I was actually very surprised when I heard the boos. I know they weren't that loud, but yeah, you like you could notice them. And that was very surprising because whilst he was warming up, it was all um, people just chanting Zaha's name. But the only thing that I was I looked at slightly concerned with the Zaha situation is the fact that he put in a transfer request the day before. That was kind of... I feel like the timing of that was wrong. If he genuinely, genuinely wanted to leave he should have put that in earlier because at the end of the day, no matter what we say, no, none of this gentleman's agreement rubbish is a business. It is a business and everyone's going to look out for themselves. Palace is going to look out for themselves. Zara's going to look out for themselves. And if Zara wants to move, he should have just put in a transfer request before, way before the, the, the basically the last day of the transfer window. So that was the only thing that I was annoyed about. But I was supporting Zaha yesterday. I was supporting him until he remains a, remains a Crystal Palace player. And I have no issues with him. I understand that he wants to move on. And I feel like he's telling the fact that he wanted to push a move to Everton. With all due respect, I was talking to an Everton fan as well. And he was surprised as well. But I feel like there's a bigger message behind this. is the fact that there are some things that's not going right at the club. And the fact that our best player wants to move to Everton. And he's that desperate and he's going to put in transfer requests. So... Some things need to be sorted. I'm reflecting on this before responding in full. Obviously, I, I put out um, my view on Five Live on you know 
on behalf of the back of the nest earlier in the week. The the thing about this is that you know we all love Wilf. We know what he offers, and you know I I'll be tremendously sad when he does leave, and he will leave. Uh, the, the thing is that we all want him to, if he does move on, to go to a club where he can truly enjoy the success that he aspires to and that he is so capable of achieving. And the thing about that is that, you know, with all due respect, Everton is not that club. You know, yeah, maybe you'll qualify for Europe and you'll get a few games, but that's that's not, maybe it's a stepping stone. But really, you know, you, you need to be moving to one of the bigger clubs in this league or in a foreign country. You know, if Real Madrid were coming in and were willing to pay the right money, I don't think any of us would be uh, begrudging him the desire to, you know, make that move. So, you know, absolutely, I I was applauding and singing his name and I will continue to do that, not just when he's a Palace player, but after his time with our club because I love the man and I love what he's done for our club. I think it's been badly handled by his agent. I'm going to lay the blame squarely on the agent, albeit that, you know, the player appoints the agent. The agent has employed some pretty rough tactics and that's not the relationship historically that the club and player have had. So I think it's a great shame that that's happened. I don't think that the fan base should allow that to get in the way. Yes, it leaves a bit of taste in the mouth, but let's, if we're going to get angry, let's get angry with the agent and continue to love the player who, you know, I I think will occupy a, a place in all of our hearts in the future. I certainly hope that people agree with me about that. If not, you know, jump in on all the socials and tell us why. I mean, for me, I, I think the the strength of the reaction, uh, as has been touched on a little bit by DR, is that is, is Everton. I think, and it also felt a little bit like with the Arsenal stuff earlier in the win, in, on the win, in, earlier on in the window. It's a difficult sentence to say. Um, <laughs> I think, it felt like Everton were like the second choice at the very most and that he was pushing really, really hard for that. And it kind of felt like he just wanted to go anywhere just to get out of Palace when, as soon as it became Everton. I don't think that that's the case. I think, you know, money talks to a certain degree and I'm not saying he's entirely motivated by money, but if the reported figures he was offered are true, it, it's got to be an appealing move for him. There's no two ways about it, you know, and, and, and we all know what that will f- looks after a lot of people and, and you know, and, and charities and things like that with, with his money. And the more he earns, the more he can do that and the more he can and look after his family and his friends and all that kind of stuff. So there's a huge motivational factor there for, for the move. Um, and the second point really is that once you've set your stall out and said, right, I'm going, there kind of is always going to be that reaction to, well, if I can't get the move I wanted, in a way, an almost, I don't necessarily want to agree that it's a sideways move, but it's not, it's not a particularly positive move because Everton are a very big club and we have to accept that that they have a, a stronger history than us and right now they are um, you know they have a, probably have a stronger squad and they have more money to throw about and, and they've got a, a you know a, a young highly rated manager and a lot of ambition and that's quite an appealing thing for a footballer as well so all of those factors aside you know, we're we're looking at it from the filter of the fact that we love Palace and we think that every player should want to play for Palace for free. Almost, you know, we 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 are biased, and you know, that's that, I think it, the, the frustration definitely comes from the fact that it's Everton. If we if if you hear if you heard it was Bayern Munich, he'd put a request in for on the last day of the window. Everyone would go, "Oh, that's a really good move for him." Fair enough. Bit late at the window, Wilf, but yeah, great move for you. Well done, mate. But but it isn't. It's Everton. They were play, we were playing them first game. The, the, you know, we've got a relatively decent record against them. 
and they don't strike anybody as someone that, that people a team that's troubling you know the Champions League spot. So it kind of felt like a, a bit of a waste of our time and his. Anyway, um, I, you know, I was surprised to see him on the bench. I have to say, and and I say the reactions to him coming on and our reaction we've talked about. Um, how did he actually do? Do you think, Dion? And I know you've got your point to make about what I was saying as well. But what, what did you think? Um, in terms of performance, he seemed—you could tell that he was not hundred uh, percent ready. And Roy said it as well after the game. He just returned to the club on Monday, and all this drama's been happening. So I feel—I uh, think he was only at full training on Wednesday and Friday, or just. Friday I'm not too sure so he hardly had any training time and he was on holiday and you could tell by his performance but um, next week we've got Sheffield United I feel like if he starts that game and gets minutes under his belt he'll return to his normal form and I don't know if you if we were going to talk about it but did you guys see the reaction on social media when after the game when Wilf went to hug Everton players and people started losing their minds over it and saying that I wish he left the club. Yeah. Well, there's one particular picture of Silver hugging him, which people are like, oh, that's terrible. And I just, I really, I know, yes, it is a terrible looking picture, but it's a, but, uh, you know, Silver hugged a few players. He was laughing and joking with Luca. You know, what can he do? He's walking off the pitch and the opposition manager walks, walks up to him onto the pitch and, and, and does that, you know, he's, that's a bit of the bit of the character of Silver. He's a bit like that anyway, but it's a it's a fleeting moment. It's a little bit like the the video supposedly of Wilf training on his own and the kit man having a go at him. And it's like actually what that is is a, is like a what, 10, 15 second video of a of a moment during a, the halftime warm up when the pitch is full of people and he just happens to be sitting down there with a the ball at his feet. And no one knows what the kit man went up and said to him. They could be talking about anything, you know. They could be talking about the kit. You know, he's, if he's got the right shin pads or, or his bootlaces or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just, but all of a sudden it's this whole thing about, oh, you know, he's he doesn't want to train with the rest of the team. He was fine with the rest of the team. He was handshakes, smiles, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong there. There's no big conspiracy. But, you know, personally, I do think he, he was, you know, playing within himself. He wasn't, didn't come off the bench up for the game. And I, I do think the AFCON situation is pretty clear. It would affect any player. Uh, but I also think that I think his his sort of appreciation on social media after the game shows that he was worried about the reaction he would get. And I think when he came onto the pitch, I think he, he did have a little bit of fear in him about how he was going to be treated. But, it, you know, it worked out well in the end. Starting with the silver hug, I mean, as, as you said, it's basically human politeness. If someone comes up to you, of course, you shake her hands or hug them. That's what all the players do on both sides at the end of the game. You see it every week. Um, so there's no reason why Wilf should have been impolite or shunned the opposition players or manager. Um, yes, he was he was clearly appreciating, and he he made that social media post saying that he appreciated the love from the Palace fans today. And yes, he played within himself, but I think he also made what could have been a match-winning move through that one-two with Meyer down the left. So you know, I I really think that he's. Yeah, he he had a good game. Um, considering he was only on for fifteen minutes, I'd have liked to have seen him on a bit earlier. Maybe we pushed for the game, we pushed for the win, and you know that's it. On to the next, and hopefully Wolf shines on that stage next week when he's a bit fresher. Yeah, no doubt it's a, a topic we'll revisit. But I think we've covered everything in that we, we immediately needed to. I was going to ask as your view kind of changed on him over the last couple of weeks or not, but I think it's perhaps perhaps we've answered that as we've talked. Really, I think we've all been pretty consistent with what we think. So let's move on to talk a little bit more about the match and, and the things that we took from it, really. And um, I think, you know, first of all, I kind of sum it up and saying that once again, we saw it was a, 
a weaker first half performance than, than second half performance. Um, I think, in a way, we were quite lucky not to go in behind, even though we had a, a chance or two first half. I think Everton were quite wasteful. Um, second half, we we definitely changed things. I think we we'd noticed how well Everton was set up to negate everything that we did. I mean, we really struggled first half without the the really sterling effort that that IU put in. I don't think we'd have held the ball in the in the final third at all. Um, I think he was excellent, and actually Venteke did a very good job leading the line as well. Uh, but obviously, neither really a, a huge threat to the goal in the first half. Second half, we we just changed things a little bit. I think. You know the fullbacks were slightly more pushed on. I think the the midfield interchanged a bit better. I think Mayer was a touch wider second half and, and occupied a bit more space out there, uh, which kind of stretched Everton that little bit more. So uh, overall, I think you know that that's how I would summarise the game. Uh, Dio, you're going to jump in just before we hear a uh, um, the return of Lord Zonka. Oh, the good old Lord Zonka. Yeah, um, <laughs> I feel like the game overall. If ever uh, you know, we started off a bit slow. Everton had their chances. If they were clinical, we could have been down one or two nil. But as the game went on, it seems like we got better understanding and better control of the game. Um, so I was happy with that. But the thing that I picked up on after the game is the fact that one after we after they got the red card, this is what Max said. He Max Meyer after the game, he said that we didn't go too quickly. We were scared that Everton will hit us on the counter. And I was watching a match of the day yesterday and you see Brian, after they're 1-0 up, they still make two attacking changes. And I feel like at the club right now, there's like a mentality issue where it's just how Roy is and I'm, I'm, I understand it, but it's just too defensive. And it's not the only time that, we'll, that we'll, we were playing with 10 men and that we struggled. It's, it's like, that's one thing that needs to change and that's annoying. We, we're, not, we're too scared. We're, we, I don't understand why. Well, that's it. It's the, it's the, you know, it's the whole glass half full, isn't it? it? It's if you, if you make an attacking change, one of two things will generally happen. Actually, one of three things will happen. One, it will make no difference at all, and the game will play out just how it played out anyway. But generally speaking, either it helps you and you go on and win the game, or it disrupts your rhythm, it disrupts your team shape, and you end up losing the game because you've gambled with with, with, a, with an attacking player. And I think Roy has a tendency to play it safe and say, well, you know, we've got the shape. This is how we're organised. This is how we've just set up to play. We're creating chances. So I'm just going to do like-for-like swaps if I make any changes and I'm not going to take any risks. And that is fine. (laughs) But over the course of a season, as we saw last season, it becomes hard to take, particularly when you're not taking points and you're not scoring goals. It may not be massive fun to watch and this may not be a fashionable or popular opinion, but it worked last year, and I think it will work this year. Yes, it's conservative and it's not a huge amount of fun, but we play 38 games this season. We need to get just over a point a game um, so you know, to, to achieve that magic 40 line and stay up again. And the I think you know we've, we've taken one point in this game, which means we're one step closer to achieving that. Yes, we need to achieve some three points along the way as well. We were playing one of the teams who I don't think we've ever finished above them, have we? Or at least not in you know the Premier League era this time. You know, and we've definitely them. finished above them at least once. So, <laughs> well, right. since since no, 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 I don't. I mean, I'm not counting yeah. just Premier League. Oh, of I'm, course, you know, I'm not talking when we, when, 20... we, when we finished third. When we, we finished third, we obviously them. finished above them. Yeah, I'll take that. But in you know in the the time that we've been in the Premier League, this time we have not finished above them once. 
and you know, based on the financial firepower that they have and we don't, we're not yet in serious competition with them, as is seen by the fact that they were, you know, attempting to buy our best player and he was tempted to go there. So, you know, I, I think that a, a point is a creditable result. It's a result that was worth taking. Um, yeah, I'd have loved to see us push for the win, but, you know, you've got to trust Roy on these things. And I, I think it worked. Yeah, well, I don't agree. Well, I mean, I do. It's a completely logical point. But me, when I watch football, when I watch Palace, when I watch anything, I want us to win more than I want us to make logical decisions, quite frankly. And more importantly, if we if a team goes goes one uh, loses a player against us and there's time enough to win the game, I want to see us do something to win it. And yes, I would absolutely destroy Roy if he made an attacking sub and we lost the game against 10 men. And I don't care that I'm inconsistent. I want to see him... Make a positive change at the very least when the, when our opposition lose a man. That's what I want to see. I think if you've got an extra body in there, either someone in and around the strikers to pick up the loose ball, you can start to build pressure. You can start to do something different. That the exactly what Dr picked up on the kind of we were scared about the counter attack. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Mayer is using you know English in the way that he knows how to use English and I don't think he generally means scared I think he just means mindful of is how you would put it if you're a a native English speaker you would say we were mindful of we are concerned about we are you know consider considerate of the fact that they yeah worried by but he's not they weren't we weren't terrified we weren't shaking in our boots but that's essentially that's what Roy is doing there he is saying that you've got you know first and foremost don't lose the game. And that's that's how he plays. And that's what's kept us in the league under Roy. But as, as we've talked about, it's not particularly inspiring at times. But for me, at home against a team that's down to 10 men, when we're on top anyway, I want to see that extra bit of effort, that extra, that extra something, that change that makes the difference. Um, and he tried to do it through bringing Zaha on. But obviously, Zaha on for Ayu, Wickham on for Benteke where he subs. And they're just swapping like for like all those different players and different levels of, you know, sort of freshness, but it didn't really change a huge amount. Although arguably you would say that we created the chances to win it. Anyway, that's quite enough from us. What did Lord Zonka think? Hi, Lord Zonka again. Right. Here's the questions. If Wilf was fit to play the second half, why couldn't he play the whole match? I'm not having it, this thing where managers create this thing they know more than us. We watch football all the time, all of us. We know there's no mystery. If a player can play the second half, he's not not match fit. Nothing to do with it. Not having that. Oh, and one more point that really annoys me. If it's really all going wrong, what is it about Roy? Why couldn't he bring on Saha at half-time, like the start of the second half? Why does he always... I said to the person I was watching it with that he won't bring him on until after 60 minutes. It's that predictable. Arsene Wenger used to do it the same as well. Why can't he just admit that we need a change? Why, I'll give it another 15 minutes? That really annoys me. Why didn't he just bring on Saha in the second half? Annoyed of EC1. Annoyed of EC1. You have no more messages. <laughs> Annoyed of EC1 there, Lord Zonka. A fantastic clip. I, you know, again, and what I will say on this is I don't, whether we agree or not, and obviously we'll have our views on, on what uh, what was said there, we love to hear that level of passion from, from people talking. So get involved on that. Uh, 0203 575 1266. Uh, chuck that in your WhatsApp app. 
and um, yeah, send us a voice message and get on the show. Um, lot to digest there, gents. I'm going to start a little bit by saying, as much as the, necessarily the content I might not agree with, the principle I do, which is, you know, what's if, if I can't, I, I yeah, I sort of get it. <laughs> but so if Zaha is fit enough to play the last thirty, you know, a part of me thinks this a, a lot. Why do we? Why do you do things late in a game? You know, give him, give him the first half maybe, and if he and if he's not up to it, take him off for half time. You know, start with your best players, kind of thing. That that's kind of the argument there. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that I think that it was the right thing to do. I think probably having Wilf on the bench and trying to change the game late on when the opposition are tired makes a little bit more sense. But as a general rule, I think I complained a little bit about this last season where. Um, in games, we changed our mentality for the like the last ten minutes of a game, so we'd stay in the match till the very very last, and then go for it. And I've always said, why do you, why does it have to be those last ten minutes that you go for it? Because it doesn't really because you run out of time when you once you built momentum. If you go for it at say I don't know minute twenty, and have twenty the last twenty five minutes of the first half where you're absolutely giving it some, and to me it's 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 sort of no different. Um, but there you go. That's that's kind of what I think about that. Um, Chris? Can't disagree with um, the idea of mixing it up. But obviously, as we've said before, that's not what Roy does. Roy has his very specific methodology, which is do whatever you want to do in the first half, see how it goes, make the tactical tweaks, which are usually you know, quite good positionally um, at half time. Why you can't do that earlier through communication with players on the pitch, I don't know. Um, and then after after that in the second half, you know, usually around minute seventy five, that's when you know the last minute subs come on, with a view to it being, you know, fifteen minute race to the flag. We're gonna push. I agree that that it would be better to do those earlier. Whether that's or even as you say to start with your strongest eleven, get you know, I mean, maybe that's the way to go is to try to get so far ahead that they then can't catch up. And it'd be nice to see a bit of variance. On the other hand, I don't think that that's likely because as we've already identified Roy and we had a hashtag didn't we um after the Southampton game things Roy won't change and one of them is his way of setting up for a game I suspect but yeah I agree with you that the frustration of trying to do that that you know stay stay in it till 15 minutes to go and then push for it that that is samey frustrating predictable you know opposition managers can see we're doing that so we need to mix it up this year with the Zar situation, I I don't find it that surprising because you saw it. What you saw what happened last week, all last week with him handing transfer requests, um, leaving training early, Roy sending him home, and just coming back from that. It, it was it was a hectic week, so I feel like in a way it was the right decision to actually bring Zaha off the bench because there was so much drama that the fact that he's playing against Everton. Um, that if he started the game, it would just be, oh, what has Wilfred Zaha done? And I feel like it worked better for him coming off the bench rather than starting him. So I agree with Roy's decision to do that. And, you know, sometimes you have to look out for players. And that was the case for, with the Zaha situation. But with the other things, we've all, we've, we've talked about this every show. It just happens. Like, he, this is who he is. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we'll talk about this more throughout the season I've, I've no doubt of this whatsoever but again I was having a, a chat on Twitter with Patrick and um, Patrick sort of uh, made the point that Roy said after the game it was a it, we were better in the second half 
which is um if you remember to the show last year i think we did a um a selection i think it was something like 17 or 18 games we picked and in i think 13 or 14 of them we found voice clips of roy saying that we were better in the second half so my my concern is that we've come back to that um and he's, he's one for one so far this year in terms of games where we're better in the second half and i, I worry that that is going to be a feature and that kind of le- leaks back into what i was saying in response to to lord zonka's clip there which is we, we can't keep being reactive. We can't keep doing the same things and expecting different results. But um, let's talk a little bit more about actually what happened in the game, a few a few things I picked out there. Uh, one thing that really stuck out for me, gents, was that um, Patrick Van Arnholt, as well as being a little bit more defensive, cleared one off the line. Uh, a few comments, joking comments, that um, the PBA has learned to defend. But what do we make of his his change of performance and in particular that goal line clearance. It was um it was a it was well a welcome return to some strong defensive work, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um he looked good uh, in defence. He also looked good coming forward. Um, you know, he, he had that chance uh that I think was passed to him by Zaha um late on. And that that, that could have been a match winning opportunity. He I thought he looked solid yesterday and, and you could see specifically with, with that goal line clearance that he moved back into position to be ready to do that. So he's clearly had some briefing on you know what his responsibilities are and what his role is. And, you know, he, he looked solid in that yesterday, far more comfortable than in previous games. He's he's taken a bit of a beating on social media after some, you know, pretty disappointing performances last year. But I'm hoping that he's gonna be um, back on it for the rest of the season. It's you know too early to say, but he, he looked good to me yesterday. Yeah, he seems to have. Um, it's, it doesn't seem to affect him the stuff on social media. I think he tends to reply with sort of jokey comments and all that sort of stuff, which I think is quite refreshing um, for a player just to sort of kind of accept that people will be how they are on social media, and he'll be how he wants to be. So I quite like that about him, really. Um, but yeah, he's. I, I was encouraged by that performance. I have to say it was. Um, it was it was definitely it was different. Let's face it, different than um, than what we saw last season. If he can keep that level of concentration, um, and that's the thing for me, it's the fact that he's he's anticipating what's going to happen. You know, we've seen it a few times from, um, from from PVA in the past where he's perhaps not anticipated the run from a defender, or he's you know maybe you know lost 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 his marker or something like that. But when he's that switched on at that point in the game. That he's he's seen that the, the keeper's going to get beaten and got back and cleared it. He's in the perfect position to do it. Um, I think that's great, and, and long may that continue. Um, in a similar way, uh, Guaita made a, a terrific save there um, in the first half. Didn't get an awful lot of credit on the highlights that I watched. Um, was called, oh, he didn't know too much about it, but it was brilliant. You know, he got he got a hand up and then immediately ran and punched the ball away as well. Uh, terrific stop, wasn't it? I was next to Simon, and Simon saw my face. Re- he saw my reaction in my face after that save happened. You missed it. You missed it. So I was just, I was amazed. I was like, just forget, just look at that save. It was just a crazy reaction from Gaeta. And there was a stat yesterday um, showing that thirty-eight percent of the games he plays, or something around that region, that. we have clean sheets and I don't think it's a coincidence he's a brilliant goalkeeper and he saved us yesterday as well so many times and we mentioned after the game Jordan Ayew Maya Joe Ward but Gaeta was another uh, he had another good performance which 
seemed like it went kind of unnoticed due to how the game went. Well, pleasingly, Roy talked about it in um, in the post match stuff, and you know, a lot of attention for Jordan Pickford for making some some key saves on the Palace chances. Um, and Roy made the point of saying, "Well, look, both both key goalkeepers did really well." And I like the fact that that Roy is now talking about Guaita because we had that uncertainty last year as to whether or not he was going to select him over Wayne Hennessy. But it looks pretty clear now that that Guaita remains number one, um, and the performances are starting to to you know it's starting to make that undeniable. Um, you know, love a goalkeeper who's got great reactions and he's very sort of Spironi-like in that way. Um, you know, it was almost reminiscent of Spironi's uh, save against uh, Brighton against uh, when Ashley Barnes tried to flick the ball past him in the playoff semi-final and he, he just made that reaction. And that's why I got a little bit annoyed with the highlight commentary uh, that I watched after getting back from the game because if he doesn't make that kind of flinch of his hand and his shoulder, then that ball might well have hit him but it could easily have gone into the net afterwards but he, he flinches up but he's just so switched on as well he just he sees it loop up and he, he's just he's going to get to it uh, and a great punch out as well so really encouraging stuff from Guaita um, let's talk a little bit about the missed chances again we won't spend a huge amount of time on it um, but Chris are, are you concerned uh, Maya got into a couple of good uh, got a couple of good opportunities one deflected over one hit straight at the goalkeeper you sort of wonder if he'd taken the, the one on the side of the area with his right foot rather than letting it go across to his left, he might have had a better chance. But, you know, last season it was a, a season of missed chances. Are you concerned we might see more of the same? Yeah, you have to be, don't you? Um, at the same time, I don't, I don't want to rush to judgment on the basis of, you know, one performance where, you know, our chances were, we, we had the better chances, I think, in this game. But, you know, they didn't always fall to the right people or in the right places. It definitely would have been the better option to try and, you know, chip it over the keeper rather than, you know, hit it or drill it in the way that he did. But, you know, it's it's the first game of the season and most of these games, you know, that have happened in this first game week have gone with form. You know, so for us, us to get a draw against, you know, expectation, I think is a positive. So, yeah, just looking back at, on what you're saying about the, the chances, I can and will, I'm sure, get some goals you know not not huge numbers but he doesn't have to you know that's not it's just we need to we need to make sure that the the right chances fall to the right people and yeah that'll come uh, you mentioned that Ayu um doesn't have to but you see you know Benteke look I'm not going to go harsh on him I still I don't know why I still have some faith in him you can call me stupid or whatever but I still have some bit of faith faith in him but Ayu does need to deliver if Benteke continues to play like he did yesterday. I'm not saying he played bad, but for example, there was an instance in the second half, I believe, where there's a ball into the box and there's two Everton or three Everton defenders and he's at the back post and the ball was perfectly placed, but he didn't go for it. And stuff like that frustrates me and it puts pressure on other players as well. Look, I'm not only going to blame Benteke because Jordan Hayu, he had a massive chance. Max Meyer, he actually apologised after the game for missing his chance. But collectively, it's like their decision-making for Benteke needs to improve and the finishing of Ayu and Max Meyer needs to improve. And I feel like Benteke's situation is a bit easier because it's it's like he has to look over his game, whereas Ayu and Max Meyer is more down to talent. Like, Max Meyer is a brilliant player. 
I think he's a brilliant creative player. But if you ask me if he's a good finisher in front of goal, I don't think so from what I've seen, not only from yesterday, but when he did play before. Um, I'm gonna, uh, I think the Benteke point is very interesting. I picked that out as well. It was uh, Van Arnholt sort of drove across the keeper, but it was kind of one of those cross shots where you're not really sure where it's going to go. But I, I thought immediately when I saw it happen, and saw Benteke at the far post. First of all, the Everton defence misses it. The angle for him to try and put that into the net is is ridiculous. So already you'd argue he's very much in the wrong place. But I always also immediately thought if Bat Shawai was playing instead of Benteke, he would be in the six-yard area and he would be looking for that tap-in, whereas Benteke kind of isn't really thinking like that. Um, now, he might be anticipating a, a lofted ball to the back post for a header that he's going to run into. And I think that's possibly what he was doing. And that kind of gets you into the territory of talking about, well, do we actually remember to play to Benteke's strengths? Because should we be drilling the ball to the back post for him or drilling the ball across the keeper for him to get a tap in? Or should we just be chipping the ball up to the back post for him to power in because he's not going not gonna to lose the header? And so I, I think it's twofold. I think he has to be more switched on to what's likely and to how we actually play. But I also think the club, so it needs well, the management need to get through to the players that, you know, if we've got Christian Benteke leading the line, you've got to be looking for, for a header. So you've got to get your head up, look where he is, and chip the ball back there. And the chances of him scoring are much, much higher if you do that. So there you go. That's that's my thought on it. Um, one little um, incident of VAR before we before we move on to closing this show out. Um, did you notice it, DR? There was a we had it on the big screen in big, I think big purple background VRR VAR check for red card. Didn't see the incident at all. Spent most of the next two minutes going, "What happened? Who did? Who did what? Who was it? Red card?" But um, what did you think? Um, overall, I felt like VAR uh, it didn't disrupt the flow of the game, which is one of the most important factors that people were uh, concerned about. And yeah, the only yeah the only thing is that we weren't too sure what decision they were looking at with the red card situation. After the game, I found out that it was Luca, and I saw what they were looking at. But during the game, it's a bit confusing. But overall, I wasn't I wasn't displeased with VAR. I don't know about you, Hambo and um, Chris, but personally, I felt like the game flowed nice, and there was decision which they looked at, and it didn't disrupt it. Yeah, I was pleased how quick it was, definitely. You know, obviously didn't know it was happening, didn't know what the incident was at all. Um, but the, the fact that it flashed up on the screen and then he just looked looked at the ref and about three or four seconds later, he's just waved play on. So I, I thought it was pretty good. Chris, what do you reckon? Yeah, on, on the basis of that one example, seemed very positive. I've heard some rather more negative reactions from games where there were actually goals in the sense that you're celebrating and then, yeah, you've got to wait and see whether it is actually a goal because there's a VAR review. But then, you know, that's that's the basis of the technology, isn't it? So it, I think there will be issues for us, but there may actually be a lot of positives in terms of the number of penalties it may yield for us, assuming Zaha's with us all season. Yeah, I'm pleased that, um, that the Premier League went with a slightly reduced scope from what we've seen in the in the sort of tournament football of late, where it was almost every decision, you know, all over the pitch was reviewed. And I think the Premier League's gone for... Uh, missed incidents, goals, penalties, handballs, that kind of stuff, rather than every kind of possibility. So, oh, was that a corner in the build-up to that goal? That kind of stuff. They're not going overboard with it. 
And I think that or potentially a review system where you've got a finite number of reviews is very yes. much the way to go. I think if you try and do too much, it, it will disrupt the game and people will hate it. But undoubtedly, there will be controversy throughout the course of the season. Last bit, Dio? Yeah, and it was the first game as well. It's not like um, we've, we've had VAR for a year. It was the first, first game week and yeah, there's good signs of it. So there's no need to worry about it. Okay, so let's finish with a little chat about uh, something all three of us actually experienced. And um, it seems to have gone down reasonably well with the majority of people and that's the the singing section so i I made make sure i call it the singing section it's not the expanded hf that you know the hf is still you know they're they're very much driving it and and still have their their group in the middle there but the wider group is is the singing section so it's been very inclusive everybody who's involved in it and i'm really happy to be involved with it and, and glad that my application to the the club was agreed and um and also that a few of us are in there to to experience it um I, I had a brilliant time. I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm put into one side. I'm not going to carry on addressing what happened last season. It's done. You know, people unfortunately who didn't want to move from their seats move from their seats. Um, I think a few of them have talked about the fact they're quite happy with what he- what ended up what they've ended up with in the end. But obviously, I'm sympathetic for anyone who didn't get you know um, something that they were happy with by the end of it. But um, overall, a great experience to be in, in a positive atmosphere. Absolutely exhausting. I mean, I am hugely out of practice from uh, for singing for ninety minutes. But I've been in the Arthur Wait for for a fair few years now, and I've, I'm going to be blunt here: it's been dying at the back there. Um, and I, I know there was a lot. I saw some comments from the guys in the Arthur, those at the back of Block V, and some at W, where they were saying that you know they don't can't see the HF now. When you used to better see them in the corner, but because of the gantry, you can't see uh, where they are in the middle behind the goal now. So they found it a lot harder to to sort of keep it up with the chance and all that sort of stuff. But it's early days. I think that will catch on as, as, as the noise spreads. But generally speaking, a, a hugely positive performance um, in, in the crowd. <laughs> I call it a performance, but you know what I mean? Um, huge experience mm-hmm. is probably a better word. A hugely positive experience. Um, I think it will get better with time. I think, you know, everyone needs a bit of time to get used to how it is and the people around you. But so friendly, so happy and, um, yeah, eventful <laughs> as well. So I had, I had a great time and I think it's going to be hugely positive for everybody who's um you know just we, we want a great atmosphere again at sellers park for me it was just dying a death where i was um and i just felt that the whole crowd was just very passive for the last couple of seasons so long may it continue and improve in my yeah, view. i'll keep it short it was very enjoyable but exhausting that's it <laughs> that's what i was just saying it <laughs> you look shell shocked at one stage. I, I think you and I looked at each other, didn't we? Up five, that yeah, five we're minutes like, What's in, going on? and it's just like, right, it's five. There's five minutes. I'm already shattered. My voice has already started to squeak. <laughs> just what is going on here? But um, but yeah, it was great. What I'll say about it is it brought the away game experience to Solhouse Park. I've not had many home games where it's been as energetic and as much fun as this was. So, I mean, I, I undoubtedly 100% agree um, that it's going to be really exhausting being part of this, but it's also going to be tremendous fun. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing it, that atmosphere percolate around the stadium. I think it could be a, po- a really positive force for bringing back that Fortress Selhurst that we had when we first came up into the Premier League. I think it can bond fans. You know, I think... Um, was it, I can't remember the chap's name who called in with his uh, call for the players to, you know, for the fans to unite. I think this is 
Rory. So Rory, well said, it. Rory. And I think this is going to be the glue that can do that. Let's all sing the songs together. Let's have a great time on match days. Hopefully, the team and the manager can uh, help make being at Selhurst Park a more positive experience for us because God knows the performances have not been brilliant at times over the last few years. You know, and that's going back to the previous manager and managers as well. But yeah, absolutely. It was a great experience. They brought everyone along yeah. with them. Um, and yeah, looking forward to continuing to being part of it. Yeah, I thought of one, one specific moment that I really enjoyed. At the start, there was a lot of, a little bit of confusion around who was sitting where and all this sort of tough stuff. Look, People looking at seat tickets and things like that. And uh, there was one one moment, I think, I, can't, I, you know, I don't know the guy, I'll be honest with you, sort of, sort of an older guy in a, in a white shirt who was kind of just him and his mates. They're like, well, we don't mind. We'll, we'll sort of go wherever. But they were looking at it uncertain. And I think, I just sort of noticed him about 10 minutes in and he'd just been completely absorbed into the, into the sort of the HF part and was just jumping around like a lunatic. And he was sort of like, oh, I'm in now. I'm in. I'm in the HF and all this sort of stuff. It just made me laugh so much that, um, you know, it started from, a, there was a little bit of nervousness from him. And by the end of it, he was just like, oh, what the hell? I'm just going just gonna to go with it. And um, that's the kind of attitude you have to have. But there's, you know, there was some teeth in trouble and there was some some negativity from people. And also, you know, unfortunately, some people weren't weren't happy with the view because people were standing and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's a football match, you know. That's what all I'm going to say on it. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone. Everyone has has a right to kind of go, you know, go for the experience that they that they want. But the bottom line is, you're at a football match. You've got to expect people to to be jumping around and singing songs and all that kind of stuff. Just make the best of it, and you know. Try, try not to be negative to each other because that's not what it's about. So, look, it, you know, won't be for everybody. And but I think trying to get like-minded people all in the same place is is a brilliant way forward. So, again, long may it continue. Okay, um, right. I suppose anything we haven't really covered in the game before we end, I just want to talk a little bit more about a couple of player performances before I finish this whole thing. We've got a few tweets that we'll cover in the next sort of five minutes or so, and then we'll, uh, we'll let this thing come to a natural conclusion performance wise. So we've mentioned most, but I do want a quick word for Scott, Dan and Martin Kelly uh, concerned about them as a center back pairing going into the new season, particularly after the game against Hertha Berlin, but they were both excellent. And, um, you know, again, Premier League clean sheet against very good opposition. So a lot of respect to them there. Um, and I thought we've mentioned Jordan Ayew, Max Mayer. We've mentioned Benteke. I thought Luca did extremely well. One little moment where an intercepted sort of pass that he, he knocked across ended up at the feet of Richarlison, who probably should have scored. And half of the Everton fans thought he had. Uh, but other than that, a really strong game from him. I thought MacArthur's energy was was excellent. Um, Andros played a little bit within himself. And as, as Dio mentioned, a lot of that seemed to be because of that um, sort of change of style from the fullback behind him. So he's, he's got a bit to do to kind of adjust to that and, and change his game. But um, And I think in terms of the subs, we talked about Wilf, and I think Connor did well when he came on as well um, for a, a limited amount of time, put himself about you know, looking like he's going to... Well, he's, he's stayed fit so far, full pre-season behind him and, uh, and no crisis yet. So... Good signs, I think. Um, so first question, I'm going to ask you this question, DR. It's a striker-related question. So with Batshuayi not in the Chelsea squad today uh, and clearly third choice, should we be pursuing him as part of a potential Zaha transfer in January, as has been rumoured if their transfer ban is, is uh, lifted, or next summer, uh, and get the work started early? And that's from Palace Scout on Twitter. Uh, 100%. Um, with striker options, it's... 
you want to get the right man and Bradshaw seems like he fit fitted into Roy's system last year so he's a target and yeah he was not even on a Chelsea bench today and they played really badly so hopefully Chelsea might be a case that if he doesn't continue um, playing and not getting selected into the squad then Chelsea might want to get rid of him and if they do hopefully we can get him on a cheaper deal than the rumoured I think it was 40 million or 30 million they put if if we can get Batshuayi for the 20 million and let's say that we didn't spend on Shalov, then that'd be great business. But yeah, hundred percent targeting striker should be on on our list. Um, Rob James Leonard has also got in touch saying, "Is it time to pursue a free agent striker?" Obviously, we've got some space in the squad. I haven't quite worked out why um, Dion Curtis Henry and uh, Ryan Ennis weren't named in the squad because they should have been. But we've got, apparently got two places in the squad. I've looked at free agent strikers very, very, very briefly, and Sturridge, Balotelli. We're two that are on there. I'm not sure I'd be happy with either for either fitness or insanity reasons. Um, oh, Balotelli would be lovely. <laughs> I'll take him. I didn't know that he was a free agent. I'll take Balotelli, but you know, you, you can tell by my stance earlier on in the show, I don't want to go get a striker just for the sake of it. If if it's someone like Balotelli, I'm willing to risk it because he can. he's actually a decent striker. Yeah, I don't know if he ever completed um, that move to, I think it was Flamengo or something in Brazil. I, I haven't checked. He was just happened to be on a list. I don't know how, that, how old that list was. So he might have gone because he was being rumoured to, to join them. But if he hasn't, he might still be available. Um, yeah, I don't so Mark Drew also mentioned that uh, front our play, front players need to be sharper in front of the goal, and that was the difference between a draw and a win. Although he was happy with the point, I think we've we've covered that, Mark, and I think we we largely agree with you there. Um, one for you, Chris. How long do you think it will take to integrate the new players, and who should be worried for their place? And that's from Milky Jew on Twitter. Good question, and I think the answer on that is it's going to take a few weeks. Is the reality, and partly that's a fitness thing. You know, a lot of these players, you know, haven't necessarily had a full preseason. Um, who should be worried for their place? Well, I mean, if you look at, let's not base it around the starting eleven because you know yesterday's starting eleven was not entirely first choice. Kelly and Dan are not the long-term first choice defenders. You know, those are Sacco and Tompkins. Um, but Cahill, I think, probably would, um, would most likely be above um, either of Dan or. Kelly in terms of the pecking order in the future, depending. Um, in terms of midfield, I think you have to be honest, um, MacArthur and Meyer both are at risk in terms of, I mean, Wilf will probably come in um, or Schlupp will come into the uh, place that Meyer has. Um, MacArthur has competition there. I mean, you've got Coyote, who I, I really like as a Palace player, so he's not even a new signing and he's on the bench for this game. Um, but then you've got McCarthy was already on the bench. Camarasa, if you're looking at attacking midfielders, I reckon we'll, we'll see we'll see them sooner rather than later. Um, probably sub position, you know, substitution appearances in the first instance because Roy is cautious and takes a while to integrate players. I reckon it's a few weeks, um, but we'll, we'll probably see someone come on for a substitute appearance next week. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I can see Camarasa actually sort of pressing the the wide midfield. So that's that's Mayer and and Townsend really in the in the course of the season. And I think that's that's good to have that little bit of competition for places. He can play central as well. He can play potentially just off Benteke. Uh, so maybe Ayu might need to look over his shoulder there as well, but um, he can also play deeper in the centre as well. So he, he can cover a number of positions, and I really hope we get to see him pretty soon. Um, I think 
who is on the bench, but it's just that little bit too early because of how late the signing was. But I'm really interested to see that one, I have to say. Uh, the next question we had from Mr. Cadbury's Parrot uh, on Twitter, which is, which will be greater, the number of VAR penalties, Will Ferns, or the number of goals Max Mayer scores? Mm. <laughs> it depends who Wolf's playing for. Um, I, I yeah, I think I think it's going to be quite, you know I think quite a high number, but I'm going to back Mayo. He's going to get ten this season. There you go. How about that? I'll go with uh, Wilf. I'll go with Wilf. There you go, Wilf penalties. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll go Wilf as well. But the question is, does Mayo start as much as he should? Um, yeah. I hope he does. Okay, so that will do for now. Loads of contact there. Really appreciate it. And obviously, would love more as well from you. Uh, we do read everything. So if we got a message from you or an email from you or something like that, and we didn't use it, apologies. Um, but yeah, can't can't cover everything every week. But do keep it all coming. Um, obviously, continue to um, share our podcast. Subscribe to it as well on your chosen podcast app. If you feel so inclined, rate us five stars as well. Um, always helps other people find the show. Of course, there's the Love Sports Show, DR. That's now Tuesdays, 8 or 9, right? Just the one hour this time, but just compressed quality. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just everything. And, 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 of course, the, and, of course, the new host is Darren Miller from EastEnders, isn't it? I don't know. I know his real name is Charlie, but I don't know if it's... Charlie G. Hawkins. Yeah. He's, he's Darren from EastEnders. Yeah, that is it. I'm definitely... <laughs> I'm definitely going to get on that show at some point and ask him loads of questions about EastEnders until I never get invited back. Oh, um, yeah, that'll be. That's- I reckon. The, I reckon I could do the whole hour just asking him about EastEnders. That's what. Um, anyway, that's what. That's what. Then. Right, mate. And um, then, of course, you've also got Terence's ragtag band of degenerates. Yeah, they obviously release the preview show on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Um, do check that out as well. And obviously, um, thank you very much for listening. To Mikey for producing and to my panel. And you. Yeah, bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.